Let's turn together to Psalm 86 as we open God's Word tonight. Tonight's sermon is something of a continuation. I guess we could think of it as a continuation of this morning's sermon. We're looking at growing in the fear of the Lord. If we had a way to grow in the fear of the Lord, we, we as God's people should say, well, I, I want that. I, I, I want to, uh, uh, to know how that's done. And we, we have a way, and it's through prayer and through the reading of God's Word. And, and certainly, with the Spirit's power, we, we cannot uh, rely on our own strength. It's not merely going through a discipline as we, um, uh, as we seek to grow in the fear of the Lord. But we saw in the life of Joseph this morning how he did fear the Lord. He didn't have a copy of the, of the Scriptures before him, but he was certainly, as evidenced by his uh, confession of God, one who was looking to the Lord and trusting in Him. He feared the Lord. He loved the Lord with, uh, with all that he had, more than his own life and his aspirations. And he wanted to make much of God, and God matters. There are disciplines that we need to think about and to review that are behind this fear of the Lord, this, uh, this growth in making much of God. We want the, to be engaged in them so that God might see, or that people might see rather, that God matters to us as we live our lives before the watching world. We've talked about the centrality of the fear of the Lord. The quote by John Murray, I've given to you the fear of the Lord is the soul of godliness. What is it that, that leads us on to greater godliness, to greater maturity? It's that we fear the Lord, that we have a reverence for Him, that we want to submit to Him. If, if the church regained that, the churches would be full. <laughs> there, there wouldn't be a seat left. And so we see why there's a need for that. We see why there's a need for that because we see empty seats and we recognize that uh, we don't have that reverence for the Lord that we should. But it's what God wants to work in us and so He reminds us, He teaches us again what he takes notice of in his children. I want to just review with you again that introduction to the book of Job where, where uh, the, the devil comes to before the Lord and, and he likes to pretend he's going about with great power and authority and the, the Lord says to him, where have you come from? And he says, I've been roaming to and fro in the earth. Kind of, he says, trying to pretend like I've, I'm doing what I want and going where I want to go. And uh, the Lord says what? Where does the Lord point him? He says, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him on earth, blameless and upright. He fears God and turns from evil. And the Lord is pointing out how vital that is for one to stand because we know what happens next. The Lord gives permission to the devil to test Job. The Lord shows in this passage, in, in, in that interaction, that the fear of Him is at the heart of life. It's the beginning of all knowledge, of all wisdom. We saw it in Joseph's life this morning. It's not just an Old Testament virtue. It's also seen in the New Testament saints. Mary says that God's mercy is upon those who fear Him. Paul says that he knows the fear of God and that he lives to persuade others to walk in the fear of God. 
The early church is described as having a fear of the Lord. I'm reviewing some of the things we've already looked at so that we might come into this remembering where, where we are. We seek to have fellowship with Christ. We're the one whom we're being made in likeness of. Then we are going to have the spirit of the fear of the Lord. To love him, to revere him, to want to hear from him, to, to want to, to understand what do we most need. And then we ask ourselves, do I have a holy awe of God and his word? Do I revere him? Do I know him? Do I, do I want to know him better? Do I want to walk with him more? And if you revere someone, if you are in awe of someone, what do you do? You stay close to them, right? And you listen to them. I'm dating myself a little bit here, but there, when I was younger, there was a commercial about an investment firm, and, and the investment firm, they're, they're, all on, they're all on this plane. I had to look, at, look it up again to see how it was set up. They're all on this plane, and there's a man leaning over the aisle and saying about his banking decisions, well, E.F. Hutton says, and everybody leans forward. And what does the little segment say at the end? Perhaps some of you can remember it. When E.F. Hutton talks, everyone listens, Right? When God speaks, everyone should be listening because this is not just an investment of, of, of gold and silver which is going to perish, but this is the very word of God that gives us life forevermore. When God speaks, we should listen. God should have our attention. His word should be written upon our hearts should be our focus, our awe of Him, should increase daily, a desire to please Him in all of our living. There should be a desire to obey all His commands. What does Jesus say? Go and make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. Well, tonight I want to see how we grow in such a fear of the Lord. That by way of introduction to Psalm 86. Here we have a great illustration of what the fear of God looks like. Listen as we read just the first 13 verses of Psalm 86. This is the word of God. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There's none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made, all the nations shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart. And I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. 
so far, the reading of God's own holy word this evening. The congregation of Lord Jesus Christ, verse 11 is the prayer we want to think about as we're thinking about how to, how to grow in fear of the Lord. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. The NIV, give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Psalmist is all about prayer as he seeks to live before the Lord. He says, I am poor and needy. I have, uh, there, there is no formula for this. There's no, there's no uh, discipline. I can make this happen. There are things that I'm to use, places to go where I can learn, but you must stir in me that fear of you, giving me an undivided heart to worship. Brothers and sisters, we're made to worship. God made us that way, to be in fellowship with him. And, and if we are not walking with him, we're walking with another. Jesus says there's two masters. You either serve God or you serve not God. And we are to remember that we are to be devoted to him because we cannot serve two masters. We can serve only one fully as we ought. So when we ask ourselves the question, do I want to grow in the fear of the Lord, we have to ask ourselves, how do I do that? Well, we ask him for help. We ask that he would lead us to to him and to preserve our lives, to trust in him. David commits himself to godly living. He says, I am godly, verse 2, rather rather bold statement. But what he's saying is, I'm, I'm pursuing this. I want, to, I want to do what you would have me to do. I want to, to respond. But you need to preserve my life. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. How do we know if God is our God? What, 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 what does it look like? Greg Beale says in his book, or the title of his book, We Become What We Worship, he says this, what people revere, they resemble, either for ruin or for restoration. Children, someday you're going to look like your parents, or you're going to say something like your parents, and you go, I can't believe it, I'm becoming like my mom or my dad. How could that possibly happen? And yet we resemble what we revere. I hope and pray that you revere your parents, that you love your parents, and that, that you see in them something to be modeled, that you, want to, that you want to follow after. We resemble what we revere, either for ruin or for restoration. What a powerful statement. It's either for our good, for restoration, or for our ruin. What are we following after? What are we resembling? To be trusting in God and seeking after Him. When we pray for the fear of God to grow in us, we're praying for growth in godliness, godliness, not to put God in our debt, but rather that God might be glorified in us, that He would work in us and others would see it, and that we would be able to testify that it's His graciousness. His grace and mercy working in us what we cannot work in ourselves. What a wonderful prayer to start for each day. Father, give me an undivided heart that I might fear you. I'll give you a couple other passages that are good to begin the day. 
Psalm 90, verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Psalmist says, satisfy us, O Lord, in you, in your steadfast love. Praying that and saying, Lord, that's where we want to find our satisfaction. What about this? Psalm 143, verse 8, let me hear of your steadfast love in the morning, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Lord, show me the way I should go. Show me that I might live for you. This is both a commitment, but also recognition of dependence. Psalm 119, verse 34, Give me understanding that I may hear, that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. No divided allegiance. My whole heart keeping your law. Praying at the start of each day for understanding that leads to new life, to undivided devotion. David does not just pray, Lord, deliver me from this trouble. Make things go back to normal. We often do that. Or just just return things back to normal. Just deliver me. He doesn't pray just that. He's praying for deliverance. But he's also praying that God would focus his heart to fear him, to revere him, to be in awe of him, that that he might follow after him. What a wonderful prayer at the beginning of each day. And a way to pray through the day. What are we asking when we pray this prayer? We're asking God to turn us to him in all things, in hardships, in prosperity. We're asking God to help us trust him at all times. We're asking him to deliver us from the fear of man, from covetousness. We're asking him to give us such delight in him that we will not be shaken if things around us don't go the way we want them to go. Can we say that that is our desire from day to day? Well, it ought to be our increasing desire. That's what we should be praying for. But that's not all we're we're praying for. We're praying that we would recognize Him for who He is and praise Him or his glory. Listen to what David does there in verses 8 through 10 to encourage himself, to remind himself of who God is as he prays to him. He says, there is none like you among the gods, O Lord. There are no gods. He's saying among all the imagined gods, all the imagined deliverers that, that men have, there is none like you, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made, all of them shall come. And worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. One day, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And do we have that from day to day? Is that that our, uh, 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 our, our obeisance? Do we bow before the Lord Jesus Christ? And then do we go forth with confidence? He says, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. In prayer, praise God for who he is. That's how awe for him grows and how fear of man subsides. David did not fear his enemies because he saw the greatness of God. When he did fear, he he said, Lord, help me to see your greatness that I might not fear man. It's probably the most neglected aspect of our prayers to praise God for who he is. We jump right into needs. We jump right into petitions. 
And we say, well, do that because we know God can answer. We know he's great. Well, we should vocalize that. We should say that out loud. Oh, Lord, there is none like you. Therefore, I shall not fear or be shaken. As we heard in Psalm 62 tonight. We want to think of how amazing he is. When we pray that God would unite our hearts, we're praying that he would lead us to see good and evil as he does. As we grow in fear of God, we grow in hatred of our sin. We confess our sins. What we're doing in confession is we're agreeing with God about the heinousness of sin, the heinousness of our own sin. We're agreeing with God about the deadliness of sin, of our own sins. We agree, we're agreeing with God that we must confess our sins each and every day. Not falling into the trap that the devil sets before us, where he tempts us to think, well, our sin doesn't matter. It's no big deal. James 5.16 says, confess your sins that you may be healed. Repentance and confession is a gracious work of God, which we must yearn for each day. Praying that God would lead us to hate our sin, that we would not put anything before him. We pray that God would help us to change. That's repentance, to turn 180 degrees, going the opposite direction. When we pray a prayer of confession, we aren't simply to pray, Father, take away this desire for now. Get me, get me out of this. Now's not a good time. I have things to do, and this is, this is distracting me. No, we pray, take this away for good. I want it to be put to death, that I might serve you wholly with all that I am. Unite my heart to fear your name. Verse 11. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Give me delight to do what you command, to avoid what you tell me to avoid, to do what you tell me to do, and to know that there is joy in obedience. There's no burden in the commands of God. Now, that's not every aspect that... We recognize this part of prayer, but we want to move on to that second means by which we grow in the fear of the Lord. It's the reading of God's Word. There we have the advantage over Joseph. He didn't have that copy, but here we have God's Word before us, and that begins with prayer as well. What do we pray? We can pray Psalm 119, verse 18. Show me wonderful things in your law as we open God's Word. Reveal to me what it is you would have me to know. To see the promises, to see the commands. Teach me, as the psalmist says here in Psalm 86, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. This regular, consistent exposure of mind and heart to the Word is, is a means by which we can grow in the fear of the Lord. It should involve reading it ourselves, hearing it taught and studying it for ourselves. There's been a continual attack on the Bible since it's been written. The devil constantly attacks the Bible. That should tell us something. The Bible is very important, needful. God has given it to us and preserved it for us that we would grow in a fear of him and live in a way that is pleasing to him. Satan 
tries to discredit it by getting people to say it's full of errors, getting people to say it's outdated, that it was only for a particular people back long ago and not for today, and on and on. But we know that God's Word is eternal, that it is true, that it is inerrant and infallible, will not lead astray, but guide us into the truth. The Word needs to get into us. How does it get into us? By memorization, by meditation, by application. It takes discipline like any other skill. We must be at it every day. The more we read, the greater God becomes. The more we read, the more we're exposed to how God has made us and how we are to live. What happens when we're not in the Word? What happens? Biblical illiteracy, we call that. What happens? It leads to human pride. What grows when we're not in the Bible? Human pride. Arrogance. Confidence in our own abilities. Leading to the rejection of the fear of God. Yet no one can live rightly if they reject the book that explains all of life. What what explains cancel culture today? What explains uh, confusion, the confusion we have in our world today? What explains the anger and the vitriol that we have today? It relates directly to the absence of God's Word in the lives of those around us and perhaps in our own lives too. Paul says this in Romans 1.28, Since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. What's the context there? Paul is speaking and he's warning of what's going on in the, in the world. He's saying there is all kinds of perversity. Why is it happening? Because they did not think it important to keep the Word of God before them. They did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. He gave them over to a depraved mind, to what ought not to be done. Now, it's easy to go to Romans 1 and say, well, yeah, those people, we know about them, but we need to remind ourselves that there's a warning that if we don't see it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, we lose our way. We can, have a fear of, uh, we can have a lack of a fear of God, a lack of reverence for His Word. David's the one who wrote the psalm after all, man after God's own heart, but we remember what happened in his life as he turned away from the Lord and from the things he was called to do. We also see in his life how he repented and how he returned by God's grace. We see in that a, a model and it leads to his humility as he's writing these words that he is poor and needy. We see it in the New Testament. Paul writes to the saints in Corinth who needed more fear of God. He says, you need more fear of God that you might press on in the work of sanctification. We need to keep God before us. We do that as we keep His Word before us, as we pray. All Scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Those aspects are necessary, all of them. Why should we have the Bible work this way in us? Why, why the Bible? Because it's God's Word. It's authored by Him. He's speaking to us words of life, warning us of the way of death. Looking at some passages, as was connecting the reading of God's Word with the fear of the Lord, I was led to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4, what does it say there? God is 
speaking to his people. We're looking Old Testament, New Testament here and seeing God's, God's word and is, is clear. It's the same in the Old Testament, the New Testament. It says there, Assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere or fear me as long as they live in the land. It may teach them the commands that have just been set out to their children. Two chapters later, Deuteronomy chapter 17, and speaking about the king, it says that the king is to be regularly reading God's law. Listen to what it says in Deuteronomy 17, verse 18. When the king sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law, approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes, and to do them. If the king is to do this, then certainly the people, the king is to set the example, he's to set the model for his subjects to keep that word before him that he might grow in fear of the Lord. Regular, prayerful, personal exposure to Scripture is an effective means of growing in the fear of God. There are many ways to encourage that and to improve that. Some of the ones that I use, I've mentioned here before, but I bring them up again, that the acrostic of space, the, the sin to confess, the promise to claim, the attitude uh, to change, the command to obey, and the example to follow. What, what, what's, what's being talked about in the Word? How am, I, how am I learning from it? We tell others the same thing so that they can be growing in their study of the Word, making applications that they're personal to me. What do I need to change? Not what needs to change in the world, but that I make these, these applications personal and specific and measurable so that I can, can gauge the growth. Is this, is this going deep into my heart? Is it, is it uh, that I'm reading the Word not merely to put a check mark next to the passage I've just read, but to think about what I've read? As we come to the Word of God, we come with the right attitude. Listen to that attitude as it's laid out for us in Proverbs chapter 2. My son, daughter, if you receive my words, if you receive them and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. And find the knowledge of God. You'll see what it is to fear the Lord. To come with a teachable spirit then. To be humble. We don't know it all. You don't know it all. I don't know it all. God has much to teach us. And we say with the psalmist then, give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. Jesus learned the word it says in Luke chapter 2, he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. There was that time spent with the Old Testament scriptures. There's time spent for us in this day with Old and New Testament. What sort of plan are we going to lay out? Is it a Bible reading plan? Is it a journal that we keep? Is it some other means? Maybe you need accountability. Find someone who's going to hold you accountable and ask you what it is you've learned. Then think about what you've learned and try to 
Put it into words that you can explain to others. Teachers learn more than the students because they have to prepare it in such a way that it's understandable. So digest it, take it in, and then be able to write it out in such a way that you can explain it to someone else. Norval Geldenheis says this about God's means of working understanding. He says, God in his wisdom, omnipotence, and love has so arranged things that insight is given into the redeeming truths of the kingdom, not to those who are self-exalted and wise in their own estimation, but to those who in childlike simplicity and humility feel their utter dependence on the Lord and accept the truths revealed in his word. There's that attentiveness. There's that giving oneself, as the writer of Proverbs 2 has just said it, that we might understand that we're searching the scriptures. And then going back to what the psalmist has said, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. God calls us to that, and he provides means for that, and he provides the power in his spirit that as we learn of him, all our fears can be quieted and our pathway forward to life and godliness can be made clear. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the way that you instruct, the way that you teach over the household of faith. As your son gathers, protects, and preserves a people for himself, as the word goes out, we are the blessed beneficiaries of his work, the gift of the spirit which you have given. Oh Lord, may we not despise your spirit, your spirit who works in us as you work in us, a greater awe of you, a greater love for you. May that show in the disciplines that we develop too, in the priorities that we set. Lord, we give thanks to you for these provisions. We give thanks to you for the promises that you set before us, saying that if you seek me, then you shall find, you shall grow in the fear of the Lord and come to a knowledge of the way of life. Lord, lead us to your Son to see in him the example set before us and to see in him our Savior, the one who has lived that perfect life, laid down his life for us, that we might be forgiven of our sins, receiving eternal life and the Spirit to guide us into greater understanding. Guide us in this week ahead, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.